Is it on? Ah, wonderful. Good morning, everyone. Morning. Something really exciting happened to me about six weeks ago now. Because on the 21st of February of this year, I became an American citizen. Yeah, you can clap for that. It's pretty exciting. I went to Milwaukee, to the federal courthouse there, and stood before the judge, took the oath of allegiance, and traded in my green card for um, a a certificate of naturalization, they call it. Um, But at the same ceremony, we were all given a welcome pack to welcome us to America. And in that packet was a letter from the White House, um, which read as follows, or part of it read as follows, and I quote, Although you hail from a different place with a different background, as a new American citizen, you inherit a legacy of common heroes, values, and traditions that stretches back through the centuries. This American legacy is now your legacy. This history is now your history. Our traditions are now your traditions. The United States is now your homeland, and all Americans are now your brothers and sisters. So I guess I should congratulate you too, because now you have a new brother, right? (laughs) You may not have known this, but it happened about six weeks ago, so. Anyway, something really, really important happened to me on that day, because I I underwent a massive shift in status, from being a mere resident to being a full American citizen. And on our way back home, as we passed the big American flag outside of Gander Outdoors, I think it is, on 41, I felt something that I did not expect, a sudden rush of devotion to this new land. And I cried out to Lisa, that's my flag, that's my flag. Do you see it? (laughs) And uh, it was in that moment that, yeah, the, the full force of what had happened really kind of hit home, this fundamental change. Before that ceremony, I didn't really belong, not in the same way at least, but after that, with a shift of status, all of a sudden, now I do belong. And something similar happens to this when we accept uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ and we come to salvation by grace alone. Something similar, but way more profound because God takes it a step further. You see, the, the federal court judge that pronounced my change in status on that day, even though he did that, it didn't really commit him to then take me home with him and give me the privileges of a son, right? He's only a judge. But God, when, when he justifies us, when he declares our status changed and now we're justified before him as judge, he also adopts us as a father. The first relationship is legal, The second is personal. So God does for us what no human judge can do. But the problem is that we as Christians, and myself included, hold on a second, this just fell off. Okay, good. Let me start again. The problem is that we forget about this adoption. Uh, we, We under... Estimate, I think, the, the identity, this new identity that we have as the adopted sons and daughters of God. And we underappreciate the privileges and freedoms and responsibilities that this new identity brings. So with that, please turn with me to Galatians 4 
verses 1 through 7. I think it's on page 974 in the Red Bibles. And while you're turning there, I I chose this passage um, because, as Dan said, we are heading back to South Africa. I'm from South Africa, by the way, just in case you... Um, So we're heading back there, and uh, we're going to be working with an organization called Door of Hope, who rescues abandoned babies, cares for them, and works for their adoption. And I think that this is a perfect picture of the gospel. It's not the gospel, but it is a great picture of it, because this is what God does for us. Um, And our passage today, the theme of our passage, is adoption. Um, And... Just before we read it, let me ask two questions, because there are probably at least two types of people here today. First, there's uh, the group of uh, Christians. Um, If you are a Christian, do you forget about your adoption? I want you to think about this as we read through our passage. And if you do forget about your adoption, are you living as a slave instead of an adopted co-heir with Christ? The second group of people have not been adopted by God yet. And if, if this is you, um, if you know this already or if you realize it as we walk through this passage together, let me just say that this adoption is for you as well. So please speak to one of the pastors or the elders or a friend. Um, speak to someone who has been adopted um, this week. Okay, with that, let's read together. Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7, and I read. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the state set by his father. In the same way also, we were children, when, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, your word is good and it is intended for our benefit. We pray that you help us understand this passage today by your Holy Spirit um, and you will show us how it touches all areas of our life and how in turn we were able then to worship you with that life that you've given us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, it is a bit of a challenging passage. So if you're a little bit confused when we read through it, that's okay. Hopefully it'll become clearer to you as as we go along. But the context is important, so let's begin there. When Paul went to Galatia the first time and evangelized and discipled the first Galatian churches, he presented them with the true gospel, which is to believe in Christ alone, by faith alone, through the grace of God alone for your salvation, right? That's what the Christian church professes. But after he left, false teachers and false teaching crept in, and there seems to be this 
this idea that this, the false teaching wanted people to observe the Mosaic law in order to secure their salvation. So Paul is saying all the way through Galatians and even in our passage, don't begin with faith in Christ and then revert back to works. Faith is enough. Faith is enough. Don't go back, don't go back is the call of Galatians. So like I said, the question before us today is have we forgotten our adoption? And I'd like you to think about this because what, what usually happens when you forget about your adoption is not good, right? When I forget about my adoption, I tend to get frustrated and angry when things don't go my way and it's because I'm forgetting that adoption and I'm forgetting that I have a heavenly father who is sovereign and in control and I don't have to be. Um, but that's just me. Maybe something else happens to you when you forget your adoption. But Paul encourages us today to live like the adopted sons and daughters that we are. And he gives us three reasons to live this way. First, that if we don't, then we risk enslavement. Second, we should live this way because God has rescued us. And third, we can live this way because his spirit enables. So let's walk through these three things one at a time. The first one, live as adopted sons and daughters or risk enslavement. The stakes are high, Paul says. In verse one and three, or one, two, three, before we read it, let me just kind of give this one caveat because he uses the word child in an, in an unusual way. I think for most of us, child is usually a positive word, um, but Paul uses it in a negative way to mean immature. So in verses one through three, you'll see he, he kind of says that when you come to faith in Christ, there is a kind of maturity that is conferred in that. But to revert back to works means that you're moving from maturity to immaturity. And not only that, it's kind of dangerous. Not only are you moving, like, not only are you moving from an adult to a child, but you're moving from a free man to a slave. So the stakes are high. And with that in mind, let's, let's read verses one through three again. Paul says that, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now, that phrase, enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, it's also a little bit vague, so let's flesh it out. The elementary principles Paul refers to here is the Mosaic law. So the law given to the Jews as well as the general moral code that is written on all of our hearts, even if you're not Jewish, right? It's the same moral co code that he speaks about in Romans 1, um, if, you've, if you remember. Um, so then to be enslaved to this code for Paul means it refers to every attempt or all of our attempts to achieve salvation through our own efforts. And that is this false gospel that Paul is speaking against. 
But that doesn't mean that this moral code is bad. It's not. Let's just cast our mind back to the book of Exodus for a moment. And that epic story of the Israelites are enslaved, um, then there's the plagues, and then God brings them out of slavery and through the Red Sea, and he cuts off the enemy, you know, he cuts off the Egyptians, and then he brings them to Mount Sinai, and he gives them the law. If you think about it for a moment, Israel was redeemed before they got the law, before the giving of the law. So the law is given to a redeemed people as a way of life, not a way of salvation. They'd already been saved out of slavery. They'd already been redeemed. And as long as the law stays that way, as long as it remains a way of life, it's a very, very precious blessing. But it is only when the law becomes a way to salvation that it becomes, as Paul says, an enslaving tyrant. But unfortunately, we miss this all the time in our daily lives because the urge to revert back to human effort is so deep within us. But it's like being handcuffed to a treadmill. You just don't go anywhere. And one of the reasons why it's difficult to accept grace and why it's difficult to accept faith and why we keep getting drawn back to our own human efforts is that it actually, the grace and faith goes against almost everything we're ever taught in life, um, in sports and work and school, because in sports, if you, if you practice your tennis serve more, you'll, you'll end up serving better. At work, if you, if you implement, implement the right sales techniques and you get more face time with clients, well, your commissions get, go up, right? Um, and at school, if you stop procrastinating and you, and you start putting, you know, working actually and studying and, you know, implementing good study strategies, then your grades will improve. So there's usually this one-to-one -one relationship between human efforts, how much effort we put in, and the results that we get. But it's not like that in salvation. Our human efforts, all our human efforts can't move our salvation by an inch. Or if you're like me and you work in the metric system, it won't move at 2.54 centimeters. Okay. Pick your system. <clears throat> it won't, you can't, nothing we do can affect our salvation at all because it all rests on what Christ has done for us at the cross, as Dan mentioned last week, if you were here. But still we have this urge in us to rest in our own efforts. So how do we combat this urge um, in way of you know, thinking of life and you know, application? Well, let me, let me suggest two things. Uh, let's first begin where Paul begins and call our attempts to achieve salvation by human efforts what it is, slavery, okay? It's being handcuffed to a treadmill. It's nothing more. So let's, let's begin there, and let's also recognize that right, right beside this urge to rely on human effort right, lies another desire that I think is God-given, and it's a desire for freedom from this enslaving system, from the treadmill. And that's what the true gospel brings to us. 
It brings us freedom from the treadmill. It brings us freedom from our own human efforts. And to rest in the gospel of this adoption, as we will find, um, is to experience that freedom from human efforts. They're synonymous. So we have seen that we, we ought to live as adopted sons and daughters of God and that we don't need to risk enslavement. Once we begin with faith, let's not go back to human efforts. Because God's adoption brings freedom. And if it brings freedom, then to experience greater freedom is to grow in our understanding of that adoption. Look with me again at verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. In these verses, Paul encourages us to live as adopted sons and daughters of God because God has rescued. Let's just work through these verses a bit here. Fullness of time in verse 4 is a very interesting phrase, and it implies that if you saw all of human history as a great story, this grand narrative, when we get to Jesus, we get to the climax of this story. We get to the high point. Fullness of time says that everything that came before Jesus is pointing us to Jesus, right? And as wonderful as the Old Testament is, the fullness of time phrase kind of says that the Old Testament is like basketball players warming up on the court, right? But when Jesus comes, it's go time. Warming up is over and the main event has arrived. Um, that's one way to think of it. Another way to think of fullness of time is that the Old Testament is like an overture to an opera for all the uh, people who go to opera here. Um, <laughs> if there's anyone. It's like an overture to an opera, okay? It's a musical piece that has all the same themes of the opera, but when you get to the opera itself, all of these themes are enlarged and perfected. That's Jesus, okay? That's the fullness of time. And then we read three short phrases in quick succession. The first is that God sends the son, the second, born of woman, and third, under the law. It's, I'm going to try and deal with these three things. Well, I'm going to deal with the first and third and then spend a little bit more time on the second. Why did God send his son? Well, the short answer is that a drowning man can't save himself. He needs to be saved. So that's what God does in Christ by coming down to rescue us. And third, Paul kind of answers the question for us, why, is, why was Jesus born under the law? And Paul says, to redeem those under the law. So an easy way to think about this is that we can't reach God's holy standard, so God had to reach it on our behalf in Christ. Okay? But then, the, the middle phrase here, born of woman, I have to admit, when I first came to it, I was a little bit confused, because aren't we all born of woman? I don't think there's anyone here born of a hedgehog. <laughs> so why? Why does Paul say born of woman? Is he being redundant? Is it a typo? Well, 
I found out that it isn't. <laughs> because to find this answer, we have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And uh, it's, it's just after Adam and Eve have fallen into sin, um, and God confronts them, and he confronts the serpent, and he curses the serpent with these words. Listen to this. In Genesis 3.15, God says, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the gospel in seed form. This is the promise of Jesus. And the really crazy thing is that all the way back in Genesis, God promises that the Savior would be a descendant of the woman, of Eve. That's incredible. Because there's a long time between Genesis and Galatians. But when we get to Galatians, that's why Paul includes it. He's saying, born of woman, because he's pointing you to the promises of God back in Genesis, which is a wonderful thing to consider. And all of these things in verse 5 point us, everything in verse 4 points us to verse 5 with these key words. Read it with me. So that... Anytime you see those words in your Bible, it means something important is coming. So that we might receive adoption as sons. All of this, sending the son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, all of it is for our adoption. This is God's remedy to our great problem. It's, to miss it is to miss the entire mission of Jesus. And this adoption will change everything. And let me give you an example of this. Imagine a foster child who has recently been adopted, steals money out of her new adopted father's wallet, but gets caught by him, red-handed, in the act. This little girl has a troubled past. Um, she's gone between several different foster homes. So imagine the great rush of doubt that would flood her mind in that moment of being confronted. She'd probably be thinking things like, mm, will it be like before? Is he going to send me away? Is he still going to want me? But then the father kneels down so that he is looking eye to eye with his daughter and with his strong and steadying hands holds her by the shoulders and says, my dear little girl, you're mine. You don't need to steal anymore. You don't need to do this. You belong. This is how adoption brings freedom. This is how adoption changes everything because it says we belong. In our daily lives, we face similar doubts as the little girl, don't we? In our relationship to our Heavenly Father. We might things, think things like, well, will I always be his son or daughter? Will he always be my father? What if I do something bad? What if I do something really bad? Can my adoption be reversed? Can it be cancelled? Have you ever had doubts like this? I have. 
But let's try and calm these doubts with this question. Can we, or can you, let's say, can you make yourself someone else's adopted son or daughter? Can you do that? Because in all cases, the parent adopts the child, not the other way around, which means something wonderful, that it depends on the parent and not the child. Which means, and this is the same thing with God, like our adoption depends on God and not on us. And God has promised that once we are his child, uh, once we are his child, we will never be lost. Jesus himself speaks to this issue in John 6 and John 10, where he says in John 6, I shall not lose any of whom the Father gives me. And in John 10, he says, no one will snatch them from my hand. So our adoption depends on God, and we can rest in the knowledge of that. Like the little girl from before, adopted children often bring their traumatic history with them into their adoption. And that history expresses itself in sin and rebellion. And it's similar in our case. When God adopts us, our history resurfaces as sin and rebellion. But there's good news. Because God does for us what no human adopting parent can do for their adopted child. Because no human adopting parent can change the nature of that child. But God can and does change our nature. When he calls us to himself, he gives us a new nature and reinforces that over time through the work of his Holy Spirit. So we can live as adopted sons and daughters because God has rescued and third, we can live as adopted sons and daughters because his spirit enables us. Let's read again from verses six and seven. It says, and because you are sons, this is your new identity, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Now, look quickly down at your Bibles one more time. Well, not one more time. There'll be a couple more times. At, verses, at the wonderful connection between verses 4 and 6. Because in verse 4, you may not have caught this before, but God, it says God sent forth his son. And in verse 6, God sends forth the spirit of his son. Now, the, the ESV mirrors this quite nicely because in the Greek language, in the original language, this also it's the same word used for sending. There are two sendings here, sending the Son and sending the Spirit of His Son. And these two sendings are equally real and equally important and are what theologians have called the difference between salvation accomplished through the sending of the Son and salvation applied through the sending of the Spirit, because when Jesus is sent, he accomplishes everything needed for our adoption. And then he's taken back to heaven. And at Pentecost, God sends the Spirit to apply that finished work to us. 
When God saves us, the Holy Spirit builds a house for himself. And in our adoption, the Holy Spirit lives in the house. Adoption is a great act of God, and it depends on him. But our growing understanding of this adoption is a process that God works in us by his Holy Spirit. And it's a long process. Let me illustrate with this. So, I'm an American citizen now. This is, this is who I am. It's affected, but it's only affected my status in any concrete way, because in almost every other way, I'm still South African. I still have a crazy accent, well, some would say. Um, I, I, Chipotle is really delicious, I'll give it that. But there are certain things on the menu that I can't find, that my palate craves, certain delicacies, certain food that you can't get at Culver's and Chipotle. I'm still South African. I still long to see and taste, uh, not see and taste, but see and, and smell, shall I say, certain experiences that I've had in South Africa, like sunsets that are so beautiful it stops traffic, or the sight and smell of jacaranda trees in full indigo blossom. You should Google those. They're beautiful, purple, purple flowers, and it's a giant tree. It's amazing. Anyway, it's not, a great, it's not the best analogy because all of these things are good, right? But my point is that when, when God changes our status, it takes, a time, it takes time for us to grow into the fullness of what he has intended for us. Just like, let me just double check where I am here. Ah, there I am. My point is this. <laughs> this is my point. That even though I'm an American citizen, I'm not fully American. It'll take a long time, long time, long journey and a long process for me to quote unquote grow into that fullness of what it means to become, well, what, it, what is American, right? And it's similar to that in our adoption by God. Um, but when we, by the help of the Holy Spirit, rest in this adoption and the freedom that it brings, we get to cry out, Abba, Father, and we get to trust in God and not in our own efforts. The word crying in verse 6 is also used in a slightly different way, um, similar, well, just like child earlier on, because crying, when you think of an, a child crying, some of us might cringe, right? seems like annoying or whining. But Paul uses the word crying to express, it's a, in a positive way, it's an expression of great boldness and confidence and trust that only a child can experience in a, in a loving parent. So let me ask you, do you have this boldness, this confidence, this kind of trust do you experience that with your heavenly Father? The answer is probably, well, sometimes, sometimes not. Well, we should be pursuing this. If you have never, ask, ask your Father in heaven to give you this confidence, and he will. We have every reason to have confidence in him. He keeps his promises, and his Holy Spirit confirms our adoption and our assurance in our consciences. 
So as we approach the Lord's Supper, let me close with, let me close with this. Again, in verse 6, we read the words, Abba, Father. And Paul says that we get to cry out, Abba, Father, now. But where have we heard those words before in Scripture? Abba, Father. Well, in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was in Gethsemane that Jesus cried out in deep anguish, Abba, Father. Remove this cup from me, but not my will, yours be done. It's good to reflect on that. Because when we cry out, Abba, Father, this expression of great familial trust and closeness, we echo the words of our Lord, Jesus. But he said those words at a time when in order to obtain the closeness that we now enjoy, he himself was being pushed into isolation. He was losing this very sense of closeness with the Father. On the cross, he says, why have you forsaken me? Christ was abandoned so that we could be adopted. Christ went far so that we could be brought near. We don't need to begin with faith and go back to works. We don't need to risk enslavement. We can live as sons and daughters because God has rescued us. And we can live as sons and daughters because his spirit enables us. So don't go backwards. Remain in Christ, rest in your adoption, and live as God's sons and God's daughters. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this, uh, one, of, one of your greatest blessings, our adoption, our new identities as sons and daughters of the Most High. Lord, you know that we struggle and that we tend to rely on our own human efforts, but would you drive us away from our own self-confidence? Would you enlarge and enforce our adoption and our understanding of our, adop our adoption by your Holy Spirit? We thank you for all that you've done, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.